Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, a conversation about what it's like for women who work in sports. A local doctor discusses her book, which aims to help childhood mental health. And how do we get men to care more about their health? March is Women's History Month. The fight continues to get more women working in and around the sporting industry. I recently spoke about this and more with Maggie Hendricks, who writes for Bally Sports. Can you break down for me what it's like being a woman working in sports? I mean, most of the time, I don't, it, it's not something I particularly notice. It's just, you know, I go about and do my job. It's usually when other people make an issue of it, um, whether for good or bad, that I kind of am more aware of it. Um, there are times when it's difficult. There are times when things, when you hear things like Adam Silver saying like, oh, they just want to watch, like the reporters just want to go into locker rooms and watch the athletes when you're talking to them. Like that stings because it stings a little bit more as a woman than that, because, you know, they just, the, the expectations and the thoughts of what, why we go into locker rooms. Um, but for the most part, it's just, part of my job it's just there are certain times I walk into a room I mean how many times have I walked into to a score uh and you know hung out with you guys in the in the mm-hmm. producer studio where I've been the only woman you know there's a lot of situations where I know where I will look around and be like okay I'm the only woman and the other way it really kind of shows up is how women how we all find each other you know like the the group chats and the group texts and everything of all the ways women support each other in all of us who work in sports, like no woman is out there by herself. Even if you're in a room by yourself with no other women in it, you know that you have this backing of, you know, if if that means I get a text from Sarah Spain or Nancy Mm -hmm. Armour or whoever saying, Hey, good job on this or, or whatever, you know, like just, I know that I have them behind me and that's pretty powerful. That's, you know, that's something that I've picked up on since I, I started working in Chicago is that it seems like, you know, all, all, all the women I, I, I run into, whether it's you or, or whoever, they, they all seem to know each other. And, you know, whether it's you or Layla or you mentioned Sarah Spain, like they, you guys all know each other and support each other, which is something that doesn't happen with the men. <laughs> I mean, we, we know each other, but there's not the same kind of support there. Yeah, I mean it's it is it's one of those things of like when there when crap does go down, we all kind of just take care of each other. 
And so that means that like there is almost the sorority where we just kind of have each other's back. And like, and like people like Sarah and Nancy and Julie taught me how to treat people. So that means that I know how to treat Maddie Kenny and Maddie Lee and Annie Costabile. And, you know, like, so it's, it's now there are women coming up behind me that I've been around long enough. Then it's just as important for me to reach out to them as others have reached out to me, you know? Yeah, that's, and that's, again, that's just, that's, that's always been such a cool thing for, for me to see. So do you think that we're making progress in the industry as far as bringing, hiring more women in positions like yours or whether, you know, play by play positions or, or, or whatever, any position in sports, even, even you know, front office jobs. Do you, do you yeah. does it seem like we're making progress? Oh, definitely. I think, I think there's, there's um, because of the generation, truly your generation and younger, um, not that I'm that much older than you, but you know, enough that are so used to have it, seeing women in charge that it's not as much of a thing. Like it's not weird to you to see, you know, a, a woman in charge of things. So there is the bigger place where we need to make a lot more inroads is making sure that there are women of color in a lot, in more of these positions, that there are women of color at the microphone who have, have, you know, as much room to speak as everybody else and making sure that like, we don't just stop with diversity. We have diversity and equity and inclusion and that everybody has, has a, a, a seat at the table and has a place to talk and can talk about sports without anybody questioning them because of their color or because of their gender. So how do someone like, you know, myself or, you know, just any, any guy, I guess, working in this industry, how, how do you think that we can continue to be better about whether it's making women more comfortable as coworkers or obviously the, the number one thing is, you know, you mentioned just hiring more, more women, yeah. but uh, what, how do you think we can be better? What's the next step here? Like, how do we continue making progress? Well, I think, I think particularly like in your position as a producer and as, as having a, a you know, a voice on the air, Look at look at your lineup of who you're having on guests as guests every week. Are you having women? Are you having women of color? Are you having any people of color? You know, like how how who are you giving a microphone to? Are you just keep going back to the same people? If you are, then you know you can you can work on that and you can just kind of grow your Rolodex a bit and make sure that it's not the same old people that are continually getting that spot, that place to speak. And that's even like things like retweeting women's stories on Twitter and things like that. It's just using your voice to make sure you are being a megaphone for the people who might not be heard as much. And that's something that I've been trying to be better about specifically the past few months. I'm trying to, trying to, expand my not just my personal rolodex of you know people i'm get i'm booking but specifically trying to get more women that i have contacts with because i i think that it, that's the they women bring a, a really good perspective you know whether you know whoever it may be and and so i i actually saw as we can try to kind of transition into baseball a little bit here i saw a tweet when the lockout was first actually it was a few weeks ago 
a tweet, something along the lines of, that's it, get the men out of here, bring the women in, we'll have a deal by, <laughs> we'll have a deal soon. And it's like, I think, like, honestly, that's true. Like, we would have a deal if we had, we had, because as far as I know, there's no women in the room for the baseball lockout negotiations. Yeah, not as far as I know. And, you know, with the NBA and the WNBA, there are women in the room in those in those discussions, and there's been a whole lot of labor peace. And yep. the the players in the WNBA and the NBA have been able to fight for what they want and have gotten a lot of the things that they want. There's a lot of equality between the players' association and then the owners. And in both of those situations, you've got women in the room. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. That was Maggie Hendricks, who writes for Bowie Sports. You're listening to Score Values on 670 The Score. Up next, we have a conversation with Dr. Jasmine Cersei Pate. She's a licensed clinical psychologist who recently wrote a book that's focused on helping young children with their mental health. Jasmine, thanks so much for being on with us today. I really appreciate the time. How about you start by giving us a little bit of of your background? Yes. So um, thank you so much for having me, Adam, on the show um, I am a child pediatric psychologist, so what I do is really like threefold. So the first thing I do is I do provide therapeutic services to children, adolescents, and their families or caregivers. And I also do um, conduct assessments or psychological evaluations for children who may present with concerns such as anxiety, depression, ADHD, and so on. And what led you to decide to to pursue this particular profession? And, you know, obviously as a psychologist, but this particular part of, of, of being a psychologist? Good question. Um, I think my passion and love really sprouted when I was an undergrad and during my matriculation at Jackson State University, where I served as the campus queen, Miss Jackson State. And I was able to put on several platforms um, regarding mental health. I was given a budget, and through that platform that was targeted uh, mental health, I was able to not only change lives, but also implement programming that increased awareness regarding the, uh, the role of mental health. After that, I was able to go to grad school. And during grad school, I worked under several uh, supervisors and research mentors who really said, Jasmine, I really think you have what it takes to become a psychologist, right? And so um, from an ethnic standpoint and race ethnicity, I identify as African-American. And at that time, African-Americans only made up 2% of the field of licensed clinical psychologists. And so that was another why, right, um, as to why I wanted to pursue the field, specifically in child and adolescent psychology. So that's a little bit about my background and how I became to who I am today. Wow, I didn't know that there was a, <laughs> such a disparity in, or, or I guess a lack of, of African-Americans in the field. That's fascinating. Absolutely, yep. And that was one. Well, the, the the reason that we are are talking today is you have a, a new book out, and yes. uh, and it, so it's called Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day. Can you tell us about what this book is? Yes. So when we think about Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day, it's about a nine year old bright eyed um, 
BIPOC girl. So she identifies as a person of color. She's an inspiring professional gymnast. And during the book, she really starts to notice how her feelings, thoughts, and body are all connected. After becoming overwhelmed with different stressors, um, including being diagnosed with a medical diagnosis, uh, diabetes, right? And over the course of the book, she's becoming stronger and more resilient, um, reflected in those of her doctors, friends, her parents, and just reaching out for support, right? And she realizes at the end of the book that, wow, taking a day to, remo- uh, to, to take a moment and reflect and recover, right, and focus on my mental health is important, right? And that's typically the narrative of the book. Now, there is a why of the book, Adam, if it's okay if I share the why. Oh, please, get, please why. do, yes. <laughs> um, so the why and the need, I, I thought about it twofold, right? So I knew as a practicing uh, licensed clinical psychologist, there is a need for children's books that focus on mental health. Oftentimes we forget about the children, right? We often talk about adults, teens, right? But Little children as young as 24 months of age are able to experience emotions and feelings. So that's one why. And then the other why is BIPOC representation in books, right? So I found that as a a practitioner, there were few books that really had a BIPOC or brown little girl as the main character, which really pushed the narrative of Olivia Takes a, a Mental Health Day. We're speaking with Dr. Jasmine Cersei Pate. She's a licensed clinical psychologist who wrote a book titled Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day. Jasmine, you kind of touched on this there. This is something I never really considered, and I don't think it's really in the on the minds of a lot of people out there. Is that what what led you to target this audience or target this group of five and up? Yes. So, of course, I wanted the book is intended for lore, right? Of course, the caregiver would have to read if the child is younger than five, right? But I thought, why not target children as young as five, really as young as two, uh, for this population, for this book? Because I think children as young as one, if you ask me, should be able to read different emotions and feelings and start talking and having these conversations about mental health or how the mind and body works together. So children as young as that age can express emotions, right? How do you have a a conversation? So, you know, let's say a parent uh, gets, gets your book and they read it. And so how do you, how do you start a conversation with your child about if you maybe notice that they're feeling overwhelmed? How, how does that conversation go? Okay, so if your child, right, so one of, you know, some, one of the takeaways for parents of the book is helping um, to let their child kind of recognize that mental health is an essential part of overall health for kids as young as five, as young as three, as young as four. But if they start noticing that Jasmine or Rebecca is having big emotions in the moment, one of the things or one of the tips that's also mentioned in the book is helping model that for their child, right? And for example, that could look like saying to Jasmine, hey, wow, it looks like you're really upset right now, right? 
I'm wondering, do you need help? Do you need mommy's help? Mommy gets upset sometimes too. And helping your child label that emotion in the moment and teaching them what to do with that emotion so that they can bounce back and move forward from those big emotions or feelings that they're having. So obviously the the title of your book, Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day, based on that title, what does it truly mean for someone that young to, to have a mental health day? Because I know that I like I certainly in, in my job and others have taken just a mental health day, which is just a day off work, really. So how what does that yes. look like for someone so young? Yes. So taking a mental health day is just not taking off, right? Because we want to, right? Or we wouldn't have jobs. We wouldn't all go to school, right? Taking a mental health day is really stopping and pausing, right? To say, okay, what am I feeling, right? Is something Thinking about children as young as five, right, for this age range, being able to take a pause, a moment to recover from thoughts, feelings, and big emotions, right, from stressors that are happening, and being able to tell caregivers, adults, whoever's in our our, our, uh, circle of support that, hey, I need to take a moment to stop and focus on recovering, right, to talking to someone, right, to meditating, right, to taking some deep breaths, right, whether that's one hour, two hours, or even a whole day to just being able to stop and recover from any stressors that are going in the environment that may impede in a child's overall level of functioning. So attending school, attending church, right, or any. That's what taking a mental health day means, yes. So what are some takeaways, maybe three or four takeaways that you would want your readers to to get from this book? Okay. So for caregivers, definitely one takeaway, and again, these are takeaways and more tips in the back of the book, helping really kids understand that mental health is essential. Number two, being able to empower youth to recognize manage and learn from difficult emotions through modeling, right, to children. And then three, making sure that parents are able, if things come up, that their child has access to high quality, affordable, and culturally competent mental health care if needed, right? And for children, the same thing, right? Um, Normalizing many aspects of mental health that may vary for peers, right? And being able to describe those various feelings, thoughts, and blathering, really their vocabulary when it comes to how do I put my thoughts into words to explain to others what I'm feeling, right? I would say those are the bigger takeaways for readers. Jasmine, thank you so much for talking talking to us today. I really appreciate the time, and this seems like such a such a, a, a really important book, you know, for for caregivers of, of young children or even for children to help understand their emotions. How can people order a copy of Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day? Absolutely. So if readers or listeners want to order, obviously they can go directly through my book publisher, which is Book Baby. So they could go to www.bookbabybaby.com. Or they can um, order from over 34 retailers, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, as well as directly from my website. I actually sign personalized copies and write notes for listeners and readers through my website, which is www.searcy, S-E-A-R-C-Y, 
pediatrics.org. Jasmine, thanks again so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just, you know, normalizing mental health. And I thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Adam. That was Dr. Jasmine Searcy Pay, the licensed clinical psychologist who recently wrote the book, Olivia Takes a Mental Health Day. You're listening to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Adam Staczynski. We will conclude this week's episode with a chat with Dr. Andrea Clemis. She's Chief Medical Officer, MDVIP. And we discussed how to get men to care a little more about their health. A lot has changed for Americans during the pandemic, including health habits. Bigger waistlines are becoming a new normal. That's according to men anyway. In fact, over half of all men say they're okay with having a so-called dad bod. It's according to a new survey by MDVIP. The same survey shows that men are uniformed about the common health issues that affect them, including the serious health risks associated with carrying those extra dad bod pounds around the middle. Joining us now to explain more is Dr. Andrea Clemis, Chief Medical Officer of MDVIP. Dr. Clemis, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Of course. Can I have you start by telling us what MDVIP is? Sure. MDVIP is a national network of primary care physicians who we have many in the Chicago area who practice personalized medicine. So they focus more on prevention, wellness, and early detection, and they have the time to develop those deep doctor-patient relationships, which gives you a better healthcare experience and keeps you healthier. Great. So I mentioned the survey that was done by MDVIP. Your survey showed that 94% of men failed a men's health IQ quiz, which as a man does not shock me. What are some of the (laughs) biggest misconceptions men have about their health? Um, The MDVIP survey showed that 90% of men did not know that heart disease was the number one cause of death. They actually thought it was cancer. So you'd think they know a little bit more about cancer, but 80% didn't know that a colonoscopy can help prevent cancer. Uh, Another striking point was that 75% of men did not know that erectile dysfunction can be an early warning sign of heart disease. So we clearly need some more education. And I, I know you mentioned colonoscopies there, and that's something that I, I, I have sensed that some some men, at least that around my life, have, have been emphasizing is something that needs to get done. Can, can you talk a little bit about the importance of like of the prevention, the preventative steps that you can take as as far as getting a colonoscopy? Sure. Um, and in fact, the survey did show that men had very low rates of colonoscopies. So. You know, I think there's a stigma of getting it done. You know, it's a little hard to, to go through the clean out and the prep. And then, you, but the, the procedure itself is very easy. Um, if you have a colonoscopy and they find a polyp or something that's precancerous, they can take that out so that it's not in there and growing so that, you know, by the time they find the cancer, it could be too late. Um, I think that goes for most diseases, heart disease, diabetes. If you are going into a physician yearly, like an MDVIP physician that does extended screenings and, and diagnostic tests, you can understand your risk factors earlier so you can help prevent disease as opposed to just preventing the complications of the disease. We talked earlier, or I mentioned earlier about the dad bod and, and, 
I heard a lot about this, especially in the last couple of years since the pandemic started. So what exactly is dad bod and how does dad bod hide potential health issues? Yeah, I, I, I'll say think Will Ferrell or Leonard DiCaprio. Lately, there have been pictures of him a little bit extra weight around the middle, um, you know, as in comparison to somebody like The Rock. Um, that you know, you can't stand on a scale and just say, well, my weight is fine. You actually have to look in the mirror, too, and see if there is that paunch of fat around the middle. The, the bad part about that is that fat that's on the outside is also on the inside. It surrounds your internal organs and increases your risk for things like heart disease and diabetes and even certain cancers. We know men avoid the doctor, and if they do go, it's for a health problem. So how can we encourage men to, to practice more prevention? And, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, like this is something that I know I struggle with. I don't go unless I absolutely need to. Yeah, the MDVIT survey supported that. About 40% of men said they only go to the doctor if it's urgent like if something's broken, uh, I think we need a paradigm shift. You need to treat your body more like your car. My bet is that you take your car in for its oil changes and rotate its tires, and you take it in when it's running well to keep it running well. And that's how we have to think about our bodies. Um, women, I think, are trained from an earlier age because we go to the gynecologist, but men aren't. So they need to understand that if you wait, it's probably too late and you need to go when you're younger to understand your risk for heart disease, diabetes, cancer. And that way you can work with the doctor like an MDVIP doctor to help you prevent those diseases. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Clemis on score values here on 670 The Score. Dr. Clemis, we've touched on what the MDVIP survey found a couple times here. What were some of the most striking takeaways for you? I think it's probably in two big buckets. One is that men think they're healthier than they are. Uh, 84% in the MDVIP survey said that they're in excellent or good health, yet we know that 75% of men are overweight or obese. Um, 60% in the survey said they know their numbers. They knew that was important, yet they hadn't had their cholesterol or their blood pressure or their blood sugar checked in a long time. So they thought they knew, but they really didn't. The other big bucket is mental health, uh, so important for your overall health. Over half, the women, over half the men in the study had never been screened nor discussed depression, anxiety, or stress with their physician. And then you add the pandemic on top of that. And so it, it's a very important piece that you need to work with and bring up to your physician. Sticking with mental health there, and this is something that I think society has gotten much better with over the last several years in in openly discussing mental health. But what are some ways that you think we can encourage men especially to really, I mean, all of society, but we've been talking a lot about men here uh, to encourage them to to focus on their mental health and, and to realize that it's not a sign of weakness to to go seek help. I think you really hit it on the head there. Um, They need to have a physician that they can work with and go in and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling a little down so that that physician can screen them. There are easy ways for a primary care physician to ask just a a few questions and get a number on a screener to say, yes, you are depressed. I need to let's talk about that or you are you do have some anxiety, or if you just are feeling stressed and don't have those two things, what are some ways we can work together to help you 
um, you know, add some barriers in your life or add some exercise into your life or whatever any of those things are. So it's really identifying you may have an issue and going to a doctor like an MBVIP doctor who will screen you and then can work with you to figure out a plan to make you feel better. So men equate testosterone to bigger muscles and increased libido, but is more testosterone actually better? Well, if you watch all the advertisements on TV, you would think yes, right? Um, the MDVIP survey showed that about half of men are actually taking supplements to boost their testosterone, yet over half have never had their testosterone level checked. Um, I can tell you about a patient I had came in once and said, you know, I'm sluggish, I have a low libido, I'm not getting the results of the gym, I need testosterone. And so I said to him, all right, let's check your level. And he had a few other complaints, so I was checking a few more things. Ended up his testosterone level was normal, but he had diabetes and thyroid disease. So once we controlled those, all of his symptoms got better. So if you think you have some, not if you think, if you have some of these symptoms, you need to go to your physician to be able to understand if you have a low level and if you need testosterone or maybe there's something else or you just need to improve your exercise and your diet to feel a little bit better. And so what is your advice to women now who are trying to get a reluctant partner, husband, father, son, et cetera, to, to see a doctor? Well, I think the good news is that the MDVIP survey showed that 80% men said 80% 80% of men said that their spouses play a very important role in their life. So that's the good news. They also said about half that their spouse had made them go to the doctor. And importantly, if their spouse was motivated to change their health, then they were motivated to change their health. So I think the door is open. Um, spouse can, you know, knows the family history, right, can talk to you about, you know, your whole family has early heart disease. Let's make sure you get to the doctor, or if you know, the spouse notices signals, signs, a suspicious mole, you know, that they're a little short of breath while they're walking when they never were before, that they need to help them get in to see a doctor. Well, Dr. Columbus, I really appreciate the time today. And, and where can our listeners go to learn more about the, the survey that was done by MDVIP? Sure, they should go to mdvip.com slash men's health IQ. They can take the quiz, um, see how they do, and if they're, like 94% of men in fail, or hopefully they're like the 6% who pass. And then they can look for an MDVIP doctor in, their, in the Chicago area. Dr. Clemens, thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of Score Values, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, Send us information at scorevalue670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalue670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.